And this is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet, and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. And she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. and She felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that the power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing that it happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. When he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know of this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't normally do this, but I want to start my sermon with an apology. Not for this week's sermon, that'll be the judgment to be made soon, but for last week's sermon, I apologize because I gave a sermon about a storm, a fearful storm. And my children who are fearful of storms at 11 p.m. that very night were woken up to alarms, disoriented and not terribly thrilled. And so I apologize for speaking that into their existence, but also I want to say that we continue to hold those that were impacted by that storm in our prayers locally, whether it be in Woodridge or Naperville or even here in Villa Park. Again, you are continually in our prayers, and I will never preach another sermon about a storm. It's only about winning the lottery from here on. (laughs) So today, though, I would like to start by talking about that relationship between efficiency and distraction. You see, as it turns out, distractions can make us far less efficient. If you've ever tried to get something done and been interrupted along the way, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've ever had children in your household, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
right? How distractions make us far less efficient. But at the same time, sometimes our attempts at efficiency can themselves be distracting. Take, for example, multitasking. We all do it. We all try to multitask. And this year, something amazing happened. We went online and we discovered this thing called Zoom. And that meant, all at once, I could be in a meeting while checking my emails, while monitoring the Cubs game, while keeping my children from fighting, all at the same time from the comfort of my couch. It was amazing. Except when I realized I was not doing any of those things terribly well. Because that's what happens, right? Sometimes we're trying so hard to be efficient that indeed we become distracted within our own inefficiencies. Which is why I'm so just impressed with Jesus today. Jesus in our gospel is distracted from his task and ends up using that distraction as a means of multitasking multiple healings within a single narrative. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And her narrative this day begins with a simple request. Well, a simple request if you know Jesus. The request comes from a temple official named Jairus, and Jairus is asking for Jesus to heal his daughter. Now, Jairus, you see, is a person of deep and abiding faith, and at this point in time, he is desperate. The need is dire. We're told that his daughter is at the point of death. So Jairus comes and puts his face to the ground and pleads with Jesus to come and help. And i got to say, I feel pretty bad for Jairus. That feeling of helplessness when a child is ill and there's nothing that you can do, where you're stuck pleading with others to help or to be the interveners in ways that you can't. We experience this in our lives. We experience this in my life with our boys when they were in the NICU after their births. I remember standing there over the little isolate, a physical barrier between me and my newborn children, day in and day out, praying that those who could help them were able to do so, to bring new life and continued life to them week after week after week. It is a terrible place to be as a parent, and we were the lucky ones, because fortunately we were able to walk home with our children eventually. Jesus hears this plea, and Jesus has compassion, and Jesus says, yeah, I think I can help. And so they go, they go on their way, they go to where the girl is laying, and they draw with them a crowd, because wherever Jesus goes, a crowd is soon to gather, and it is a frenetic crowd. People are gathering in hordes to come and see this miracle worker do his thing. And in the midst of this crowd is an unnamed woman. A woman who herself is in need of Jesus' healing touch. A woman who has suffered for 12 years with her physical ailment. 12 years of hemorrhaging. 12 years of failed treatment. 12 years of isolation because of the stigma attached to her illness, an illness that in her time and in her location cast her as unclean, made her ostracized from the community. You see, this woman, great courage, 
pushes her way through the crowd and touches Jesus' rope. And like that. That was a good one. Like that. Like that. She's healed. She finds a new life. She becomes healthy once more. Jesus then turns around and asks the question, who did that? And I love the disciples are like, are you really asking that, right? Like, do you see how many people are here? Who did that? Are you kidding me? Right? You ever been to a who concert, Jesus? Yeah, this is just what happens, right? But he asks, and the woman has a choice to make. The woman can choose anonymity or the woman can choose to be truthful. She chooses the latter. She chooses to reveal herself to Jesus. And we're told she does so with fear and trembling. This, dear people, is what God-fearing looks like. This woman is God-fearing. Her faithfulness in Christ, who he is as the divine, who he is as the very presence of God in their midst, has stricken fear into her even though she has been healed by him, even though she knows that he is still a person. She is God-fearing. She comes and she admits that it was her. Jesus then reaffirms, not only now have you been healed, but now you know peace. And not only now do you know peace, but now I name you as my daughter. No longer an unnamed woman in a crowd, she is now hidden to Jesus himself. Speaking of daughters, while all of this is unfolding, word comes along that Jairus' daughter has succumbed to her illness. She has died. They didn't get there in time. And if I'm Jairus, i got to say I'm heartbroken. I mean, my heart breaks for him, just thinking about what that must be like. But I also wonder if he was frustrated. Frustrated at Jesus. Frustrated at the fact that he was distracted by this unnamed woman along the way. And what if, right? What if he didn't stop to have that interaction? What if he didn't stop to figure out who took that power from him? What if, what if, what if? The question we ask ourselves whenever things go wrong. What if I had done this? Then would that have happened? It's too late. It's too late. Jesus, you see, could have said, not now. Jesus could have said, maybe later. Jesus could have said to the woman, take a number, get in line, I'm heading now. These are the kinds of things that we say when we don't want to be distracted. These are the kinds of things that we say when we feel like the task before us is too important to be interrupted. I do it all the time myself. And we know that this is really an issue because the girl is dead. The household finally just says, just leave him alone. Leave Jesus alone. What's the point? When Jesus does show up, and he says she's sleeping, not dead, they laugh at him. This girl has died. And yet, even against the better judgment of his household, Jairus continues to follow Jesus to see his daughter with this impatient expectancy, as if he knows his request is delayed, but that God has not forgotten him. Because you see, God's infinite healing and mercy and love creates space for interruption that our finite lives simply cannot 
allow for. Jesus, as the divine, literally has all the time in the world. And he knows that, and Jairus trusts them. And so they go. Jesus does his thing. He touches the girl and lifts her up, tells her that she's healed, and feeds her a happy meal. And the story ends happily ever after. Don't we all love that? When a story ends happily ever after. Oh, perfect. But here's my problem. This story is like 2,000 years old about people I don't know. And if I'm being honest, people I do know have similar needs for healing. What about them? That's my struggle as a pastor. What about them? What about those people in our lives who continue to pray but remain indefinitely delayed in finding an answer? Because I will tell you this, as your pastor, the last four years or so, countless individuals, some of whom are in this room, I've been there with you as we've prayed those prayers, as we've sat there praying for God's divine intervention on our time, praying that maybe like Jairus, we will receive healing. I've been privy to those prayers that you pray yourself day in and day out, the prayers we lift up weekly in worship, prayers that we have that ending like Jairus and this unnamed woman have, and the truth of the matter is seldom, seldom do we get that miraculous healing. And I don't want you to blame yourself. The challenge to this is that it's not a lack of faith is the problem. It's not that you're pray not praying hard enough or right enough. It has nothing to do with you. Maybe, just maybe, sometimes the answers to our prayers for healing and wholeness and peace in the face of disappointment are answered by coming to know God's peaceful presence in that moment. That we know and have faith that God's final answer to death is always life, that is always resurrection. And that that resurrection always interrupts death. It may not do it when we want it to happen, but it is always the case. Resurrection is always God's final word. And in the meantime, we have a task as God's faithful people to go and interrupt the ways of this world that are filled with, that are filled with discrimination the ways of this world that are filled with the phobias and isms that tear us apart. We must go into this world seeking and praying for peace and justice in the meantime. And this, this is what it means to be a Christian. And to do it means we must learn to multitask. Because you see, on the one hand, we must point ahead to that resurrection. We must point ahead to the coming of the kingdom, the fullness of God's kingdom being realized, while at the same time lifting each other's up in the divine presence that is here and present right now, the kingdom that is already here but not yet fully realized. We live in both worlds. We multitask in serving them together sharing God's transformative peace and love and hope for all people in need. Because faith, faith, you see, is not a distraction from the struggles of this world. 
and the suffering therein. Faith is the ability to recognize God's presence in the midst of the suffering. To see God active, to see God's love, and God's hope, God's renewal, God's yes to life in the midst of the things that seek to deal death. So thanks be to God for being willing to answer our prayers with that comforting and peace-filled presence, even if we don't always get the answers when we want them. Amen.